Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. doing Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available for Monday the 15th of March 2021 with me Daniel Ruiz Tyson episode 315 hope you're all healthy and doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself going it's 1538 hours a cold wet day in South London brightening up a bit now this afternoon but uh, this morning was a bit miserable and certainly uh, quite cold really for this uh, time of year double socked again long johns out in the park for uh, today's run the first run of the week more of which later the weekend was okay i'm pleased that recently i've been making sure i switch off at the weekend i say switching off i mean i've been having to do a lot of reading this weekend for the football show catching up on books that have been sent to me ahead of uh, interviews and uh, just using this break from that show to try and, I think I said that last week, just try and record a batch of shows, but that does mean doing a lot of research and, and a lot of reading. And I'm not someone who can do the speed reading. I mean, I'm doing the speed reading, but I'm reading every page, albeit speed reading. So I'm still reading the whole book and I'm not ruthless enough when it comes to marking out the pages. You know, there's pretty much every other page has a post-it note and I'm thinking, oh, I'll ask him about that. We can talk about this. We can talk about that. And then when I prep my questions, it tends to be about seven pages of questions, which tends to run to about an hour and a quarter of uh, the guest's time. I'm just trying to see if I can simplify that really and I suppose that will come with experience it's been a long time since I've done that kind of work interviewing people and I think I can already within myself see an improvement from the first show to the uh, most recent show but it is uh, an awful lot of work and I've just got so many books that have been sent to me or that I've had to buy over the last six months and just never got around to reading that many of them so I'm using this time uh, for that so other than that though just trying to take things easy you know staying off the pc that for me is taking things easy even if it means reading i'm still reading my anthony trollope phineas finry ducks book but because i've got so much football reading to do i've not been able to read you know read the kind of stuff that i'd rather read it's all been work related but uh, important to stay off the uh the pc and any screen really just to save the uh, rapidly declining eyesight your eyes again dave just a bit and I took a late morning nap on Saturday which led to another of those weird pandemic dreams it's always the nap where those dreams come to me and I was here in this flat okay in this dream I was here in this flat I was editing a podcast because that's pretty much what my life is these days and that's even crept into my dreams so I'm even podcast editing in my dreams and within that dream there was this overwhelming sense of loneliness. I could feel it weighing down on me. And I almost felt like I was awake watching myself having this dream. And there's a clock in this room, in this front room where I am right now recording. It's in the far right corner over by the window with the uh, busted blind, if you want specifics. And in this dream, I looked up at that very clock, still in the dream, right? And I'm looking up at the clock and it said 1620 hours. But within that dream, it just didn't feel that the time was right to me. And I thought to myself, that can't be right. It just, there was something about that dream that made it feel like it was significantly later than 1620 hours. And so I checked the clock on this uh, desktop PC. You'll have to excuse the hard swallow. They're hoping that's the only one. Maybe keep count. Let me know. Uh, hopefully keep it under three hard swallows this week. So I checked the clock on this uh, this desktop PC, and sure enough, it was 18.30 hours. And suddenly, I started worrying where my mum was. So I got up from this desk. I walked into the next room, which is the bedroom. 
uh, going through the door on my left ear, but suddenly, rather than finding myself in the miserable bedroom in this flat, I found myself transported all the way back to the equally miserable bedroom at Mayflower. And there was my mum tucked up in bed, already asleep after another of those early starts on a cleaning job uh, that day. You know, the, those early starts that significantly shortened her life. And these naps, they just tend to kill my mood, really. These weird, sad dreams. I've dealt with Saturdays one okay. Sometimes they can feel so awful that they just deflate me for the entire day. Even though they're a dream, I'm always wondering why am I having that dream? You know, what is my what is my dream state trying to tell me? Why does it keep flinging me back to the past? There's not much overnight dreaming on my part these days. I don't know if that's an age thing, maybe, you know, because you don't sleep as well when you're getting older. I don't know if it's related to that, but the, the naps... You know, there's always a dream in those naps and they're always so vivid. And, and and that, more often than not, is what keeps me away from having the naps. It's it's the dreams that I worry about. I don't want those kind of dreams. When I was living at home, uh, and by home I mean Mayflower, and, you know, that was home, even though it was, uh, it was not the most comfortable home. Nowhere's felt like home since I left Mayflower. And when I was living there in those final years, I always used to do this thing where I would look in on my mum sleeping. used to do that most nights because I was always worried about her. I could see she wasn't well and I was always fretting about her health in those final years. And it was only when it was too late really that I found that discipline that I have to this day where I've gone completely the other way, where I can just work solid, albeit often without bringing in any money, but I can just work solid to the detriment of everything else. You know, I can work to an unhealthy degree obsessively uh, if it's something that I like doing. But for the most part, when she was around, I just didn't have that discipline. I think my parents almost forgot about me in terms of making sure I had that discipline and fulfilled my responsibilities as a, a young adult because they were just too busy fighting. And I don't know, I suppose when you're in that situation, maybe as a parent, you go easy on your kids because, you know, you're divorced, you're worried about the effect on them. And, you know, my dad less so, but my mum was certainly too easy on me and I just didn't have that discipline I had to find that discipline myself and it took me years to find it and to this day I know that I don't quite have that discipline unless it's something that engages me you know it's not enough for me to to money is not enough for me and that is quite naive because money is important money as the kid famously said to me uh, eight nine years ago now money gives you options you know but it's never been enough for me. But I did find that I could find that discipline if it was something that I loved doing, like the writing. And, uh, you know, in those final years, it came too late, really. You know, if, I, if I'd started working sooner and working regularly to fix those things that needed to be fixed there to try and get us out of that bedsit that might have uh, prolonged a life of course it might have and, and the same with my dad really but uh, you know it, it was uh, two separate households by then I could only help one really but I always had this fantasy about earning enough money to be able to buy my dad a van for his work his painting and decorating work he could drive but I never saw him drive he never had a car but he did have a driving license and I think towards the end even though he hadn't driven for almost 30 years he was fretting that I think his driving license was expiring and wanted to renew it. And I was thinking, why are you renewing it? I've never seen you behind the wheel of a car. You know, you don't drive, I don't drive. Why are you fretting about not having a license now? But, uh, of course, he, um, you know, being the kind of guy that he was, he did renew that license and never got behind the wheel of a car even then. Mayflower... I think, marked everyone that lived in that building. I've no doubt about it, and it's something that I've been thinking about more and more, the impacts on people outside of my family. My old downstairs neighbour, and more than that, a lifelong friend, six years older than me, someone I look up to even now, and he's a, 
and his younger sister, though my memories of her tend to revolve around her pulling my pyjama shorts down before the start of the 1978 World Cup final. So I'm less fond of her. And, you know, it was summer. I had nothing on under the shorts. Suffice to say, whenever I see a clip of that uh, 78 ticker tape Buenos Aires final, I get horrendous flashbacks to being half naked in my neighbor's flat. And it was the wrong half that was naked too. Top half, you can live with that. Bottom half, take it from me. It's going to haunt you into your adult life. Anyway, moving on from the half nudity. Both of them, my old neighbours and my sibling and I, none of us have had kids. I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, personally, you know, even now, uh, just it's never something I've really thought about too much, whether I had them or, or or I didn't have them. It wasn't really that big a deal for me. And I think that really sums up the way I am about many areas of my life. It's just not something I gave much thought to. I think if it had happened, it wouldn't have been a disaster. But if, you know, it hasn't happened, and sometimes I think, well, maybe I missed the boat there. But, you know, I'm okay with the family line ending. And I think, you know, COVID, unfortunately, has probably brought a lot of family lines to an end now. And hopefully I've uh, made it, you know, made it through the COVID. And now, you know, maybe uh, uh, an Indian summer before I wind down this uh, family line and bring the uh, Ruiz branch of this, uh, this particular Ruiz branch, just bring that to a merciful close because you know going back a few generations it clearly hasn't been working out hasn't gone to plan but none of us had kids and I think there's something in that it's something I've been considering a lot lately and you know my neighbors and my sibling and I we both came from families where the marriages had broken down we were all living in a desperately run-down building with no central heating there was one communal WC and bathroom for four different households and I do think we've all spent much of our entire adult lives trying to process and understand Mayflower and its impact on us. And I know this because when my old friend and I chat and he's, his mum actually lived there in that building for 50 years, 50 years exactly, we, of course, inevitably talk a lot about the old days at Mayflower, but also in that same haunted way. You know, we recognize that we were fortunate to grow up in the kind of community that we did, where pretty much everybody knew everybody. It was a multicultural community, and I'm thankful for that. And the problem was within that building. We were just, you know, we recognized even as kids that we were not living like anyone else we knew. And we knew that as kids. And I think probably that made our friendship even tighter. It bonded us. It was like a secret that we carried through through our lives that we could share with each other. And, you know, obviously in this instance, you know, to a, a very uh, small audience as well on a podcast. And I know it's a small audience now that, well, it's been confirmed by the uh, transfer. There's still incomplete transfer to ACAST, more of that in a bit, but it gives you very accurate stats. And there are literally tens of people listening to this show but uh you know it's too late to turn back gotta go on gotta go on see this through and to the end went for a run uh just before lunchtime and <sighs> struggling i managed to well i fell short of my target i had a target in mind a minimal improvement that i wanted to see and i was really disappointed i didn't do it and if i'd known that i was going to come up short you know I'd, i don't look at my running app until i finish the run but i suppose if i was one of these people who maybe has it in their hand i just can't run with anything in my hand then i would have seen i was going to come up short and just needed to do uh, needed to do a bit more and then you know uh, I would then go into Wednesday's run knowing that I've at least hit that target for the first time since having the virus. But I didn't. But what I did do was dramatically improve my pace. And I don't know how because I didn't make a conscious effort for that. And it certainly didn't feel like I'd improved my pace dramatically. Right now, there's just there's just no strength in the legs. It's really weird. And I know that this is the virus. There's just... I've just literally that cliche running on empty and I have to tell myself mentally I can do this I know that I can do the minimum that 
I'm intending to do here because I know right now I can't do any more. But what is going on? Why do I feel so empty? Why, you know, why do my legs feel so tired as soon as I start this? And that uphill climb at the start, well, I, I have that warm up at the start that is part of the run. And that involves going up a hill, back down, up a hill, back down. But then it's the next chunk, the the first proper uphill climb that really sucks the life out of me. And normally when I get past that, this is when I'm running well, when I get past that, there's a relief and suddenly I'm, you know, kicking into my stride and I'm feeling good. And I know that uh, I'll at least be able to do a couple of laps of the park. There's none of that now. There's none of that instant relief that comes when I've got past that first hill. That's how I know that I'm in trouble. And I think that it just goes back to what I've been saying, what I've been realizing. I got lucky with the virus. I got lucky with my symptoms. But what I'm seeing now is possibly, you know, the long-term issue. Uh, you know, it's only been three weeks since I went back to the running. And, you know, if in three weeks' time I'm running better than I am now, then I'll take it. But I am worried that uh, I'm not really making any improvements and that I just don't feel able to make those improvements if I'd known it was going to rain today I'd have got out there a bit earlier so by the time I got out there today it was you know it was coming down a bit it was a bit muddy again and I probably need to uh, replace my running shoes sooner rather than later I've got to renew the website my website um, in a few weeks time when I'll be having my second lockdown uh, birthday, like last year's wasn't bad enough. Uh, and, and the problem with that is in the last few years, I, in a way, I kind of made a mistake that when I paid for my website, I did so with some birthday money a few years back, which means that every year when my birthday comes around, I know that that means within a couple of days, I've got to fork out a few hundred pounds to renew the website for another year. So... If I'd known that, well, whatever, it's going to just let this uh, anecdote, I'm not even sure if it's an anecdote, just going to let it tail off. Got back to the flat anyway, had a shower, sound like the kid now talking about uh, uh, showering. I only mention it because, I mean, we're in March now and it's pretty cold for March here in London, but there's one thing I never got around to do in this winter and that was bleeding the the, uh, the radiator in that bathroom. It's just colder than ever now with those new windows. And it's, you know, it's the afternoon. It was early afternoon and, you know, I'd come back from a run. So I was relatively warm and I, I went into that shower and where before they just used to be one bathroom window, now there's two. And I don't know what these windows are made of. They must be so thin because it was just freezing. And I'm thinking, well, if I manage to survive here, if I'm not kicked out before the winter, what am I going to do next winter other than bleed the radiator? The radiators are old. I don't think bleeding it is going to do much. And I just get tired of wearing so many layers. I joke about it, but it is, it isn't easy getting dressed in the mornings when you're putting on nine tops it takes me forever to get out of bed. You know, I only sleep with two tops, but I have the seven tops by the side of the bed. And because it's such a lengthy process getting dressed, what I've done over the last two or three years is the process has evolved whereby I, I'm putting on three tops on at once. So everything's ready for me to, to slip into it. Uh, and sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes I can't get a couple of sleeves on and I might have spent the morning with... Uh, not realizing that one of the eight or nine tops I've got on, I haven't actually managed to get my arms through the sleeves. And at some point I'll see these uh, empty sleeves just hanging down below my wrists and I had to start getting dressed again. You know, that's how cold this flat is. I think now the mistake I've maybe made is that I've got myself used to getting through winter by wearing so many layers. And I don't think I was like that three or four years ago. I think I would settle for four or five. Suddenly in the last two, three years, the last two, three winters, I've up that to nine tops. And I think once you've gone up to nine, it's very hard to scale that back. I'm just not looking forward to showering next winter.
Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available. Episode 315, sweating the small stuff and the not-so-small stuff. If you do enjoy this show, do please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's only going to take you a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. And as I say every week, it will be a massive help. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at 1607WestEgg. Facebook.com forward slash DRT available. You've got all the work on my website, DanielRuizTyson.com. There are PayPal and Coffee dot com links there on the homepage and also uh, underneath every podcast that I release every week under latest news uh, make a one-off donation uh, to the show and I'll retransfer the latest uh, bonus Patreon uh, podcast to you uh, that uh, same week usually the same day most importantly the best way to support this podcast is via the Patreon page sign up at patreon.com forward slash DRT available loads of bonus content on there I appreciate the ongoing support from you patrons. And also, if you're among those who've not been able to sustain that support through these uh, difficult times, please know that uh, I appreciate all that time that you were able to support this uh, podcast and uh, genuinely mean that. I was reading something at the weekend about post-lockdown anxiety, that there are going to be lots of people out there, that there are lots of people out there who are a bit anxious about lockdown beanies, that they've gotten used to their own uh, company or being a hermit or, you know, being a hermit within their family, but, you know, being able to just stay at home, not have to return to the office, just popping out to the shops and that they've gotten used to this life and, you know, the idea of stepping out back into a world that's desperate to claw back some normality is making them anxious and I think maybe I fall into that category a bit the loneliness has been crushing the isolating alone for for 12 months now that has been very very difficult it's been a, a completely wasted year it's impacted on me creatively I think knowing that there was no outlet for a lot of the work that I do I think it took a while mentally for that to affect me but you know I'm not being very creative right now and also you know I miss the few friends that I did have I, I know that I'm someone who desperately needs that interaction I need to step out of my comfort zone pandemic or no pandemic and I was reading this article and I suppose I fall into that category. I mean, given how careful I'd been and that I still, you know, came down with the virus, it makes me think, well, how do you get back to normality, even with these jabs? You know, how do you step, say, into an office or how do you go and have a coffee when this thing might be clinging to surfaces? How safe are you going to be, you know, with your jabs? How are you going to interact with people if you go, say, back to the cafe if it's survived? How am I going to deal with that? Um, if the cafe is still open, I think I've made up my mind now that I won't use the um, the coffee free coffee coupon card that I've uh, that I've got from the pre-pandemic days. You know, it would be too cheeky. But that aside, you know, I am one of those people I think who is concerned just about going back to doing anything normal. I, I don't see how you can do that. I don't like the idea of meeting people and having to socially distance. It just seems so impersonal, particularly if it's people that you know well. And I'm going to be seeing my aunt this week. I haven't seen her for nearly three months. But that aside, you know, when I had that bubble, that's it. That, that's been it. I think there was one visit to the Space Daddies when... Things were briefly more optimistic back around September time. And we were, I don't know if you remember this episode I told you about um, when I went to see him, he was testing it, uh, testing out his new equipment and he did some test filming, just filming me and because he was going to be making uh, documentaries uh, before Christmas, which he made with great difficulty, by the way, but he did get them made, though it was affected by the second lockdown. I think he's, it's still incomplete. He made a couple of episodes, but there's still one more to make. But when he sent me this uh, video, and I think in this film I was just laughing. I didn't recognize myself because I was smiling and laughing. And it was just, you know, it was the company. He's a funny guy. You know, he was in that front room. We both were in his front room, which is crammed with junk. And as he was filming me from a corner, you know, these pallets, giant pallets, the kind of stuff you see in a warehouse collapsed on top of him. And I was laughing as I watched him 
trying to emerge from the rubble. And that was captured on film. And that was, you know, that was some human interaction that had me smiling and laughing. And there's not been much of that this last year for me. But at the same time, I've gotten comfortable being here and, you know, just to think that I, I still got called out by this virus. And I'm disappointed, really, that I got caught out because I saw the, I saw the stats. I think it's about four and a half million people have had the virus now in this country, which is a huge number. But it's not so huge when you realize there are about 60 million people here. And I'm so disappointed when I read that I was so disappointed that I am now one of that four and a half million particularly when I went to such lengths to to do everything that you're supposed to do I don't know I need to work out a strategy I need to work out how when this lockdown eases how I'm going to deal with it and of course they're now talking about a third wave possibly here by late summer if not early autumn there's all these things to consider it's just uh this thing is just a nightmare uh quickly an acast update the feed the feed transfer still hasn't been completed but this afternoon i've i've put in the required steps for i think the second of the four steps that need to be done in order to complete this the hold up has been down to the artwork not being fit for purpose i think i covered this on the patreon episode just a quick recap for regular listeners you know this this is such an old show now the artwork is old it met the spec requirements for itunes stroke apple podcast back in 2012 but not so much now and now that the show is transferred to acast it doesn't meet their specs so uh, a friend um has tweaked several images for me a cast of now said that one of the images the the most recently tweaked one that works now that's resized so now i'm having to do this 301 redirect via the old uh, platform provider jellycast once that's done then that takes me a step closer to the fee transfer being completed i think i then need to do a third step I, i can't remember what that is once i do that it should be all sorted and then there's a, an extra step that I need to do for any Spotify users. It's uh, for some reason Spotify has to be done separately. So it's been a long process. Optimistic of me to think that it would, you know, it would be done by, you know, one or two, within one or two days last week. The important thing is it's getting done. It gives me control over the show. And as I said earlier, it also means that I can get an accurate reading of uh, just how awful the uh, download stats for the show are. Hoping that it's completed uh, by tomorrow. Meantime, the way to get this show, obviously there'll be the early release for patron uh, supporters, but the show will also be uh, via Acast. I'll tweet out the link and post it on the Facebook show page as well and uh, Instagram as well. But I'll also, as I do every week, the show, the latest show will be out at com under latest news. A quick Howard Hughes shout out to my old friend in Spain, Tete, he of Dato Tata Tete Tito Tita fame. That's a brilliant competition from 2020 that like pretty much every feature on this show died a quick but painful death. Happy birthday to Tete. Hope it's a good one and uh, hope uh, it's the last lockdown birthday for him. I think Spain went into lockdown sooner than the UK he might have just missed the first lockdown so this might have been his first lockdown birthday it's possible it could have been his second I don't know but uh, happy birthday to Dede vaccine concerns I've been reading this afternoon just as I'm recording this uh, more countries suspending the AstraZeneca vaccine which is the one that I had and I think Germany has now suspended it I think maybe the French have as well I think Denmark Norway Ireland there are concerns about blood clots and I read that yesterday and I was thinking oh have we just rushed into this well what other option did we have and then I saw a tweet this afternoon someone had tweeted of 17 million AstraZeneca vaccines in the EU 99.9999% cause zero clotting or the chances of a clot is 0.00003% that's one person in every 425,000 people vaccinated approximately just over a chance of two people in a million I saw that I was thinking that'll be me of course I'm not um, 
I'm not great with numbers, and uh, those numbers do seem, uh, of course, very low. I think even I can uh, see that. But, yeah, still a concern, still slightly concerned about that. But uh, about the first jab, I don't think anybody who's had the first jab is going to suddenly pull out and not have the second jab. I just don't think we've got a choice in this. It's, it's the only way forward. I was listening to a Radio 3 documentary this morning. They were talking to some big science bod and the the woman said that had it been 20 years ago when this happened we you know we probably would have been on the cusp of extinction we would not have survived this the, the, the technology the data to do what they've done with the vaccines it just wasn't there the little that was there was too expensive so saving grace that it's happened now and not uh, in the early noughties the weekend i was all set to have a pretty lazy weekend aside from the uh the reading for the uh for the football show and then early evening there was a, an email sent to all the neighbors here from the neighbor downstairs uh, on the ground floor the one who's been here the longest and she wanted to know if anyone would join her outside the building at 21.30 hours for, uh, you know, the candlelit vigil for Sarah Everard. And, you know, you know how awkward I am if you've been listening to this show, even for just one episode, I think. Uh, I read that and my initial reaction was, you know, I've got no problem with the the idea of it. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing if it ultimately leads to something, if it, if it can lead to an improvement in just in this not happening again which is you know completely idealistic but i thought oh i just don't really want to see the neighbors and you know i'm not a vigil kind of guy i've never been to a vigil i don't think i've ever been on a march i think the most i got involved in local issues uh was uh the library closures which are starting up again actually in in london boroughs uh i think uh croydon borough trying to close a few libraries at the moment but that was probably the extent of my involvement in anything was back in 2015 when I used to take uh, food and coffee to uh, a group of uh, protesters who'd locked themselves in the Carnegie or Carnegie library never know how to say that uh, near Hearn Hill and um, first time I went there I realized one of them was my old sociology lecturer and we got uh, chatting. But that's about the closest I've got to getting involved in causes. I'm just a very awkward guy. But the more I thought about it, I just thought, well, what's the problem here, really? And also, you know, we're going to be wearing masks. And, and it wasn't that I was thinking from a... Well, I was actually, a bit of it was thinking, well, how COVID safe is this going to be? But also the bonus of wearing a mask for me was that any... You know, if I was feeling self-conscious about or perhaps a little earnest about being on a candlelit vigil, at least I was going to be protected by the mask and, you know, the hat. And I also I was concerned that the neighbor might not get a great response from everyone in the building. And, you know, she's in her 70s. She's gone to this effort. She told me later that, you know, she was going on these marches and vigils 40 years ago and it's still happening so it was something very personal for her. And I thought, well, if no one else goes, at least I'm out there supporting her. And I think several people probably had that idea as well. And I think maybe just under half of the building was out there with her. It was, it was a cold evening. The lawn was cold. Um, I was gloved up. I had a spring jacket on. I had the hat, had the mask. And uh, the building next door, they were out there as well. We had cars going past and honking their support. So, you know, as a middle-aged man, I've now completed my first vigil and, you know, made sure I thought about why I was out there and not just for, you know, poor Sarah Everard, but just for everyone, every woman who's met a similar fate. I've heard from friends, you know, who've said, well, it's this, the background that this person has, is, is a, you know, the, the support the media has put into this is because of her, her background. If it had been a working class uh, woman or if it had been a, a black woman, it wouldn't have been in the news. And I can't dispute that. But at the same time, I think this is, you know, ideally every 
one that suffers that fate will be remembered in such a way. And I think this one has almost shattered the nation's psyche, given what we're all going through. You know, first Brexit, we've got uh, the situation with the, the pandemic. We've now got a situation where because of the vaccine rollout, the the, uh, the PM's approval ratings are, you know, going through the roof. And, uh, you know, he's ahead of Keir Starmer on the uh, personal ratings front. And you think, uh, are people this shallow? I know the vaccine program is, look, you know, it, it, it's it's an incredible thing that they've done. But how many mistakes did they make before that? Yes, this whole situation was new at the start. But they just and so you cut them slack. But then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. We've lost 125,000 people now. But this PM's approval ratings are going through the roof. I think this thing with Sarah Everard. Um, I mean, for me, the whole you know Clapham connection, Clapham Common thing. Obviously, you know where I stand on Clapham Common, and you know growing up in Clapham as well, it was a bit close to home. And also those roads for, for, for male or female at night, they're not great roads. I've, you know, I've walked them not too often uh, because of that. But going back to the whole thing about the nation's psyche being shattered, the fact that it looks like it was a random attack and the fact that it's just a police officer, a serving police officer, you just think you've got to be joking. It's one of those things now that we'll just never forget. And I hope some good comes out of it. You know, at the moment, for me, the silver lining is this guy is, let's assume the worst happened uh, to this poor woman. You know, those guys who commit those particular acts, they don't really uh, get along too well once they're in prison. There's also the fact that he's uh, he'll be going in there as a police officer as, as someone who was with the police, I mean, it's going to be bleak for him in there. And to me, you know, that's the only positive I see in this. You know, for me, you know, it makes you so angry what's happened that that is a tiny consolation, but it's a consolation nevertheless. And you start thinking, well, he was with a special uh, diplomatic services, whatever it was. But then you see that he's a late middle-aged man he was working in a garage until three years ago, and then that starts to make sense. And initially, of course, people were maybe saying that, can you really at that late age, you know, in your 40s, do you suddenly kill someone for the first time and in that manner? So I think uh, I was seeing on social media, tweeters were mentioning names of people that had disappeared in the Kent area in the last uh, couple of years. But you look at that, if this guy is, uh, you know, Forgive the speculating. If this guy, I don't think this guy is a, is a serial killer for one reason, and that is that you've got that incident, which makes the whole situation actually even worse. Now he exposed himself in a South London fast food restaurant, and why was he still on the job? Well, I, I think I don't think I've heard that he was suspended because of that. Was it covered up? Whatever. We don't know that yet. But what I'm saying is, if you are a serial killer wouldn't do that. A serial killer is not going to jeopardize his killing spree over any period of time. Well, it's not a spree, I think, if it's uh, whatever, I'm getting muddled here. A serial killer is not going to put his serial killing at risk to expose themselves anywhere. They're not going to go in for that small stuff. So I just think this it just looks like a a one-off thing, a man gets to a point in his life, middle age, where he just does something horrendous. And, and you wonder why. And you wonder, serving police officer, it's how, how, you know, with everything that we got going on right now. So the point being that, you know, maybe I'm I'm of an age now where you think, well, screw the awkwardness, screw the small talk issues that I might have out there on the lawn with the neighbours. I was glad I was out there and I made sure I knew why I was out there and thought about why I was out there. And I don't know how I feel about what happened at Clapham Common on Saturday evening. Uh, you know, I don't know. You read about a number of police officers being assaulted and you think, well, you can't have that. 
But then you look at how they were handling, you know, a number of the women that were there and it just seemed a little excessive. I, I don't know how I feel about it, but all of which is just so, so troubling. And I saw, I was shocked at how packed Clapham Common was on Saturday evening. There was, I think, I saw a, a picture online, uh, overhead shot, might have been a helicopter or a drone, and it looked like a crowd for a concert. And it's, you know, it's just something that's touched so many people and your, your sympathy goes out for her family and friends and for, for Sarah Everard herself. Um, I mean, it'd just be nice to have some some good news right now. In, in this country and, and that you know following on from everything that we're going through that is just something that it's, it's, it's something that we won't forget it's it's an extraordinary horrific situation and you hope with these things that there is some improvement that society improves as a result that you know we should be able to walk every street regardless of what time but that's not going to happen you know no street is really going to be safe from the amount of nutters that are out there that's a fact it's why i don't wear any earphones you know and i was reading about um you know some of the things that women do or many women do when they're out late at night you know when when they're walking alone or whatever and they're nearing home they have their keys in their hand you know i've been doing that since i was a kid my dad always told me to do that and um I don't wear anything in my ears. I don't use my phone when I'm out and about. I just want to make sure I'm focused on on where I am. Often I see, particularly in Brixton, even though you know it's 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 pretty much gentrified these days. But I will see a lot of you know young, and it tends to be middle class people who you know they're just on their phones. They've got their earphones uh, in. Sometimes they've got these big fancy headsets on, and I'm just thinking, you know. Yes, Brixton is gentrified, but there are still plenty of bad people around here. You know, this is Lambeth. It's a poor borough. You know, you need to be aware of where you are because this area doesn't have a great history. It's improved, but there's still no end of incidents. And as someone who's been here in this area pretty much all my life, I'm always aware of that. It's. I'm not sure if it's a case of for me, and I'm talking about myself here, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a case of me respecting the postcode I'm in. I just think it's me being aware of where I am. That's got nothing to do with what happened to Sarah Everard. That's just me talking about myself and just as a guy being careful. You know, I can't empathize with what it's like for a woman to be walking home uh, late at night, I I can't begin to to process that. I've never, you know, I've I've really had that hassle uh, on the street at night because I'm a man, so I I can't relate to that. But you try in these situations to read as much as you can, to listen as much as you can to to what people are saying, and just to see if there's anything you can do you know, to to improve how people feel out on the street. I mean, I've never walked behind women day or night. I always cross the road if I can. I don't like it. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you're also listening to a guy who never walks, uh, sorry, who never overtakes old people. If I'm stuck behind an elderly person, I'll always cross the road rather than overtake them by going, uh, walking up right behind them and overtaking them. You know, I don't want to remind them how far they are from their peak years. That's just me. I think about these things a lot. I just, you know, I've just tried to use the last seven or eight days to, well, not the last seven or eight days, since this whole thing became clear, the last maybe three or four days, I think, when the grim news started to, to come through and you just try to see, okay, well, what am I learning from this? And how do we move forward with this? And yeah, it's just, it's not a good time at the moment in, in, in the UK. It really isn't a good time. I think so many of us just feel really beaten down and we're desperate for good news. And when you get something horrendous like this happening, it does crush your spirits. You can't equate that loss, of course, to what that poor woman's friends and family are going through. You just feel it on a societal level, and it's one of those 
horrid touchstone cases that seems to happen every few years. You know, we'll all remember various horrendous cases, you know, growing up. They they stay with you. I, I think this is one of those, unfortunately, that will stay with us. If it can lead to some good, great. I think that's that's the best we can hope for. Right, let's try and end the show on a more upbeat note. Uh, Let's move on to the weekly updates, Breakfast News. In Breakfast News, Toast made its 17th appearance in the last 19 days. I think there was an outing for crackers on Saturday morning. Felt good to be spreading the crackers, but yeah, Toast at the moment is just just a shoo-in. I miss the Toast and the Cafe. So I know that the toast I'm having doesn't bear comparison to the cafe toast, but uh, it's a sort of toast homage to the cafe and its place in my life. Uh, Nectar update. Uh, I lost my receipt last week, or it might be in my jeans. I, I don't know. I've not really looked. I've looked in my wallet. I've looked everywhere else, and I can't find it. So I've had to go into my Nectar account again, uh, which is here. Let me just see. Transactions history. So... 11th of March, uh, 10 points. Will it tell me? It's not going to tell me how many points that is in total. Um, No, it's not telling me that. I can't remember how many I had last week. Activity. This is disappointing. So I'd use 500. Okay, I'm going to have to add it up. I I cashed in on my 500 on the 9th of February. So there's 1, 14, 18, 23. Oh, God, 23 plus 45. What's that? Um, bad with numbers. 23, 60, 23, 94, 100, 117, 114, 124 points if my calculations are right. Trying to remember what I bought last week. I bought a couple of yogurts, bought four single oranges, I think, bought two baked potatoes, which came to around 40, no, I think it was 54p actually, which I thought was a little high. Bought four pints of milk. So you might be hearing some scratching my beard there. You'll pick that up on the audio. I'm trying to think what else I bought. I, th- I might have bought some Hall's Cough Sweets. I've got addicted to them recently. I can't be sure. So I didn't buy much anyway. Uh, I've got also one of my ebay purchases a book got lost in transit so i have a feeling that some of these nectar points that have come in via ebay are going to be knocked off the current total but uh, right now i can't give you more details than that supposed to be getting a refund for that book that was lost in transit uh this week star wars football results uh the 9th of march that's last tuesday champions league quarter final first leg the all-domestic clash, Death Star 1, X-Wing nil. That was Zuvio scored a, a minute and a half before half-time. X-Wing had started well, dominated the first half, very much in keeping with their performances in recent weeks, but Death Star improved after the break, hung on for the 1-0 win. That's the first leg. They go to X-Wing this week, and it's going to be, uh, promises to be an exciting encounter. Meantime, uh, EOS Prime were at home to Alderaan. EOS Prime, the worst qualifiers from the group stage. They drew 1-1 with Alderaan. They shocked Alderaan by taking the lead. But a late equaliser from Princess Leia, three minutes from time, got Alderaan a vital away goal. It was, on paper, the easiest draw uh, the Group A winners could have had. But they certainly there was certainly a, a marked improvement in EOS's, uh, EOS Prime's uh, Form And then we go to the League Cup semi-final first leg on the 11th of March. Hoth beat X-Wing 1-0. Again, X-Wing dominating the first half, but uh, Hoth uh, scoring uh, via an own goal. Uh, Lando, skipper Lando's shot came off Boosh in the X-Wing uh, defence. Looped over Hoth, Luke, in the X-Wing goal, and Hoth take that 1-0 lead. Uh, I mean, defensively, Hoth are outstanding this season. 
Uh, Pruneface wasn't able to play. He's cut tight since his move from Rebels. And in the other uh, semi-final, the heavyweight clash between Alderaan and Tatooine. They've met four times this season, including in the Charity Shield, and Tatooine had yet to register a goal against Alderaan. Alderaan took a lead early in the second half through B-wing pilot. Uh, Tatooine equalised through former Alderaan player Diaz Pure. Uh, less than two minutes from time, a diving header. So Tatooine uh, take that away goal into the second leg. Europa League quarterfinals, second leg. It's been a busy week for half. They were in action again on Saturday. They were at home to Cloud City, 0-0 from the first leg. Hoth won 2-0, a goal from uh, Pruneface. Uh, following up a uh, free kick from dead ball expert Han Solo. So Hoth progressed to the semi-finals at Naboo, nil. Uh, sorry, Naboo 3, Umbara nil. That was nil-nil in the first leg. It was nil-nil at half-time too, but Naboo came on strong in the second half. And I think it was three goals in a four-minute period that uh, put Umbara to the sword. And uh, yesterday, Acto versus Starkiller Base, also in the Europa League. Nil-nil from the first leg. Acto started badly, went a goal down, equalised within five minutes, and then their keeper was sent off on, uh, I think, six minutes or five, five and a half minutes. So they were down to six, and they ended up losing 5-3. Starkiller base were 5-1 up at one point, and uh, they'll be disappointed they let Acto back into the game. And so today there is uh, just the one last Champions League, uh, sorry, Europa League game is Agamar versus Moz Eisley. That's uh, 2-2 from the first leg. Moz Eisley were 2-0 up. And they're up against it. Agamar have two away goals. Moz Eisley were favourites for the Europa League, but they're definitely up against it this week. The big news, of course, in Star Wars football, if you've not heard, is that next season there's going to be a marked change. Uh, after 23 years of it being seven aside, it will be eight aside from next season. The reasoning being the squads are so big these days that you can't have 16 team squads and still be playing seven aside. At least eight aside means uh, at least half of the players are involved. So that's the big news for uh, for Silver Age Season 6, but still quite a bit of Silver Age Season 5 to, uh, to go before that comes along. That's a lot of S's. A lot of sibilance. And that is it. That is the end of today's show. It is time for you to get those shoulders back and keep on walking towards the sun. Keep washing those hands. I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson, and this start of the week, I have been available. Music